0: Today I want to look at the rich young ruler. <clears throat> I saw this though, <clears throat> this prayer for 2011, and it said, Dear God, all I ask for in 2011 is a big fat bank account and a slim body. And please don't mix these up like you did last year. That's funny. You know, money is a hot topic, right? It's something we all have to deal with in this world, in this life. But eternal life is a pretty important topic as well. And he kind of talks about both of these in this passage, eternal life and wealth, money and salvation. And sometimes we get those things a little bit mixed up and our priorities are in a little, you know, kind of a confused state. And Jesus here speaking to this person, this individual, he hits a lot of things and he gets to the very heart of this particular person. Look at verse 16. It says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, when you look at the, the other two accounts, are in Mark and also in Luke, you see about this guy that not only was he had a lot of money, he was rich, but he was also young. We'll find that later in this account but he was also a ruler, Luke tells us. So he was young, he had youth, he was rich, he had a lot of money, and he was a ruler. He had this position, this powerful thing. Now, you and I would look at that today, right? And we go, man, isn't that the ideal? To be young, to have a lot of money, and, and to be like recognized for who you are as some kind of position or power. That's kind of like who you know, our, our society tells us. Those are... If I can use a phrase uh, from a generation that is not my own, those are the bomb. Some of you understand that. Some of you go like. Some of you are going like, well, this guy's lost it now. That means that they are the best. This guy was all set, right? He had it all, but did he really have it all? That's the question. And I think that's what Jesus, you know, he, he, he kind of pokes at that thing right in the middle of his heart. Do you really have it all? Or, or do you just think you have it all? Or, or has the world around you squeezed you into its mold telling you that you do have it all? And I want, I want us to be honest with ourselves, too. Do, do we, you know, wish, wish we were a little bit younger? Maybe, maybe wish we had a little more money? Maybe wish we had a little more power, a little more position? Let's be honest about these things. But when you look at the question that he asked, you say, man, that is a great question. What, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? He didn't quite understand it really, but it was still a good question, right? Like, how do I get eternal life? How do I go to heaven? How do I make it? What do I have to do? He was asking the question, the simple answer is found in in Acts 16, you don't need to turn there, but when Paul was locked up in jail, you remember, and and all that radical stuff happened in Acts 16, it says the jailer called for lights and he rushed in after this earthquake and all this stuff that went on, he said he felt uh, trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You ask that question, what must I do to be saved? This guy's asking the same sort of thing. What must I do to get eternal life? It's not that often that people come to you and ask you that question in this world. Barbara was talking about family members. It's not that often when they come to you and they say, what do I got to do to become a Christian? You know, Wouldn't that be nice if they came to us and, and talked like that? But it's nice when they come and say, you know, they might say something like this. Well, what's different about you? You're kind of different. You're kind of strange, but it's a good strange. And you got something, and, and maybe you got something that I, that I don't have. And they, maybe they won't even say that to you. They don't want to admit that. But they'll, they'll come to you like, there's something about you. This guy comes to Jesus, and it's something about him, Obviously. But the answer to the jailer back in Acts 16, Paul and and Silas said to this jailer, this was their answer. It says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the simple answer to this question here in in Matthew 19, the question in, in Acts 16, the question of all life. What must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to get to heaven, to eternal life? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Not give a lot of money, not do a lot of things. We're going to see what Jesus asked this guy to do, and we'll talk about why. But it's not doing a lot of things. It's not uh, you know, a, a system of works to get there. It's believing and trusting in Jesus Christ because of what He did on the cross. Simple, and you can tell people that. Anybody can tell someone that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. So Jesus continues, verse 17, What do you, or excuse me, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. He said, There is only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now, Jesus, you know, he, he, again, he was somebody special. He was somebody good. He was God come in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The goodness of God is is truly where we start. And and the other accounts say, good teacher, what must I do? What's a good thing? And and that's why he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good, and that's God. In other words, we can't do it. What must I do to get eternal life? Well, there's only one who's good, right? Do you kind of get the understanding? There's only one who's good, and it's not you. It's not me. If if it got down to what good thing can I do, uh, there aren't any things. Jesus would say. If you went to him and said, "Listen, tell me the one good thing that I can do in terms of a work or an act and that can get me into heaven," he'd go, "Hmm, no." Don't get confused, because we're going to see what he asked this guy to do. It's very interesting. But only God is is good, and we can't do it. And then he says to him, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Again, why was the law given? Can anybody tell me? To show us that we couldn't do it, because we were sinners. To show us our sin. To be a schoolmaster, to lead us to Christ. To the answer, the one who does have the answer. The one who is good, the one who can get us there, you see. But you might be thinking, when you read this, you go, Where, where's Jesus going with this? You know, works is that, you know, he's telling him to obey the commandments. But Jesus knew this man's heart. He knew what he was doing, as he always does. He knows what he's doing in our lives. And he knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows what he's doing with me and with you. How many times, though, we get, we, we get so frustrated. We, we, get, you know, we get anxious. We don't know what's going on. And we, and, we, and we think, God, you don't really, do you really know what you're doing? With me? Now, you may know what you're doing with that other guy or that other girl, but do you really know what you're doing with me? Because this doesn't seem like right here. But he does know what he's doing. Look at verse 18. He said, Which ones? the man inquired. He kind of perks up a little bit. Oh, which ones? And Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. He gives these part of the Ten Commandments, and then he gives that the last one is part of the greatest commandment that we've, uh, we see in the, in the Gospels. Love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. When someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? So he gives the, these commandments to him. He gives these to, uh, to this rich young man who had it all, really. But look what he says in verse 20. He says, All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? What do I still lack? In other words, he says to him, You know, I've been doing all those things. I didn't, you know, I, I haven't killed anybody. And some of us think this way, too. I haven't com- killed anybody, I haven't, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't lied about anybody. My father and mother, I love them. I honor them. But he still knew he wasn't there, you see. Deep inside, he knew, what do I still lack? I've done all those things. If those are the things that I need to do, well, I've done all those things. But, but you know, I'm not there, he says. There was still a void. There was still this emptiness within him that he knew That just doing those things didn't do it, didn't cut it, didn't make it happen. And as we'll see here, there was really, there was something in the way. What more can I do? Well, Jesus is going to point out there's something in the way. Look at verse 21. He says, if you you want to be perfect or complete, he says, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The answer ultimately was, you need to follow me. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, there's, there's something that, that's kind of in your way. He says, go sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor and you'll have treasure in, in heaven. Interesting thing I want to point out to you is that Mark, Mark adds these words that, that, that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack go sell your possessions, give to the poor. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, there's one thing you lack, this thing that's in the way that's, that's really got your heart, really, is what the deal is. And, and, but, but Jesus loves you and I enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. When the, when the young man heard this, verse 22, he went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He had possessions, and, and Jesus kind of put his finger right on what it was for him. This, this wealth that he had had his heart, you see, and you can't share that space. We saw way back in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters, right? Either he'll hate the one and love the other, he said, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both. They can't both be on the throne of our hearts, you see. As I said earlier, we have to deal with money, yes. Is it wrong to have money? Is it wrong to have possessions? Does this verse apply to every one of us? Can we say, well, this this verse is for every every person who would ever uh, become a Christian. Is this what Jesus is saying to every person? No. But for this one, this one, he, he had to say it because for this one, his possessions were possessing him, you see. You could say he was possessed, not by a demon, but by the, by the love of money, and that's what had his heart. The Life Application Bible Commentary says this, should all believers sell everything they own? No. But we should, however, be willing to give up anything if God asks us to do so and then he said an interesting thing. He said, if you are comforted by the fact that Christ did not tell all his followers to sell all their possessions, then you may be too attached to what you have. If, if when I said no, you go, oh, oh wow, good. Then there may be a little problem there that maybe he wants to deal with in your heart and your life. Chuck Smith said Jesus could see that the man had made a God of his possessions and that his love for material things kept him from following Jesus. If it's keeping us from wholeheartedly following Jesus, then it's, it's an idol. It's in the way. It's, it's got to be dealt with. doesn't mean we all have to get rid of everything we have, but we definitely need to get it off the throne of our hearts and put Jesus, the only one who deserves that place in our hearts, on that throne. <coughs> when you think about it, though, he, he Jesus hadn't even said this, but But what commandment did he break? Starting with the first, right? You shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus wanted to set him free. It was an obstacle to eternal life. And and you and I need to ask the question, are are there things in our lives? Even as believers, there are some things that keep us from becoming believers first, first off. Some things in our lives we're not willing to you know, put aside to look at differently because we just love them too much. But even as believers where these things begin to crowd in again and take that place that that maybe we gave to Jesus and then we, we, we want to give it back to these other things, and He really doesn't have that place in our hearts and lives. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's certain things. Maybe it's a certain... Activity, maybe it is money. What's in our way? Says he went away sad and and Barbara talked about you know choices, choose life. Well, did he choose life? Did he choose life? No, he chose his possessions, he chose his money, he chose his wealth over life. His question was, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? It's follow after Jesus, but he chose instead of following Jesus, he chose to follow after his wealth, his possessions. Someone else said his, his love of money proved to be the strongest force in his life, and he went away sorrowing. And disobedience always depresses. Disobedience always depresses. Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and this was kind of a teaching opportunity, the, the, uh, <clears throat> the man came and asked him you know, this, these questions, but Jesus now, you know, and he has left, but now Jesus is speaking to his disciples, using it as an opportunity to teach, and he tells them, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Did you you get that? Did you understand what he said there? It's hard to get into heaven if you've got a lot of money, a lot of wealth. I I don't know if you guys understand this or know this, but uh, the United States of America is a very wealthy country. And if you're sitting in this room today, you're a very wealthy person in the comparison to uh, you know the majority of the world we are well off we are wealthy and you may say, well you know i don 't got a lot of money in the bank or whatever, but you know what whatever you do have, you have way more than than the majority of the people in this world let's not let 's not be um, deceived and thinking that this doesn't apply to us that applies to the you know the millionaires and the billionaires and those people over there that that's where we go wrong when we think this the that the god's word doesn't apply to us it just applies to the other guy the other gal no this applies to you and to me how many cars do you have in your driveway how many toothbrushes do you have you know, from cars to toothbrush is a big jump, but, but some people don't have, don't have any of those things, right? Toothbrush, what's that? You know, we have a stick that we can, like, you know, toothpaste? But, you know, I thought wealth was good. Isn't that the American way? Isn't that the American dream? I thought that was the answer, isn't it? What's the problem with it? It's not that it it in itself is is bad. It's that we put our security, we find our security in the things of this world, in the things like money. I want you to turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. I don't know what that uh, chapter was uh, that Barbara, uh, that was Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy is an awesome book, you know. Don't be afraid to read it. Leviticus—that's another story. I'm just kidding. I think we should read every book in the Bible. But but what happens is people start in Genesis and then they get to Exodus and they love that, and then they get to Leviticus. (laughs) You can't even say it. Leviticus and then they just stop and then they don't read the Bible anymore. Well, I tried that. I tried that. Don't stop at Leviticus. Jump ahead to Deuteronomy numbers, we, we did numbers here and that was awesome uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 10 right it says when you have eaten and are satisfied uh, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, look at verse 14. Then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See what he's saying? We can get all this stuff and things go really, really well for us, but then we become proud and and we forget the Lord who is the one who brought us out of Egypt. You know, never forget where we came from is what he's saying here. Don't hold on to those things because those things come and go, right? John Corson asked this question, you know, why should I pray or seek God when I can consult my banker or my stockbroker? right? I don't really need to pray because, you know, my bank account's good. I got a lot of stocks and, you know, everything seems to be going pretty well or whatever. This guy, Howard Dayton, uh, who's on the radio quite a bit, he says, Jesus talked much about money. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. He says in in the Gospels. An amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why is that? Because he's trying to get some kind of message through to us that we need to be careful. We need to have our priorities right. Again, not, I'm not here to bash on money. Does anybody have any extra? <laughs> we all need it to survive, but 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 we don't need it in here. We need it outside. We need it to take care of the external things, but the internal things we need Jesus Christ to survive. That's how we're going to survive. One man's perspective. He said, "This radical faith doesn't mean that we give up our uh, uh, that we all give up our money and become indigent." But it does mean that we give up the antiquated illusion that money isn't evil. This is one man's perspective now. He says, we must face up to the frightening fact that anything money touches, it corrupts, corrupts, including us. Money is evil and therefore extremely dangerous. He says, we should be running scared. We should fear money. We constantly need to check and recheck what money is doing to us, have a periodic money checkup. All of us had better start learning how to say no to money because if we don't face up to the damage it is causing, we may find ourselves and the institutions we love destroyed by it. This is a guy, Mike Yaconelli. he wrote in the, uh, a, a, a paper called The Wittenberg Door back in 1985. Maybe a little bit extreme, Right? Just a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should be afraid of it. Because especially when your bank account starts getting bigger, you, you should be a little fearful, like, whoa, I gotta be careful. That's not gonna control me. That's not gonna have me. I have it, but it doesn't have me. You look at a guy like Howard Hughes, right? He got all the money that he could get. And what did what did he what happened to him? He went insane, he became a recluse, he locked himself into like Hotel rooms or wherever he lived and, and, you know, no light would come in, nothing. It, it consumed him. <coughs> you know the passage I'm going to ask you to turn to next. Who can tell me what it is? First Timothy. What chapter? 6. <laughs> what verse? Let's see. I'll let you find the verse. There you go. Well, that whole section, let's just read it all, okay? Start in verse 6, godliness. Well, look at the last part of verse 5, because this is, a, this is a, a, a misconception, a false doctrine, a false teaching, that whole health and wealth kind of a gospel that has been propagated. It kind of comes and goes You know, that if you become a believer, that God is just going to bless you, and that, and it's all, you know, that it's all about getting more money because God's going to bless you, and and you're going to be wealthy, healthy, and wise, and maybe not so wise. But look what it says there Um, uh, men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain, right? That's going to make me, if I just, if I get godly, I'm going to get money. But godliness, he says, with contentment is great gain. Being content with what we have. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and and clothing, we will be content with that. There's something to be said about being content with what we have. Verse 9, he says, people who want to get rich, and that doesn't mean to get me, to get money... Fall into temptation. Sorry about that. Fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Did you see that? Did you see what he's saying there? That that if we're going after those things, what it's going to, where it's going to lead us, how it's going to affect us? (laughs) Temptation, trap, foolish and harmful desires, ruin, destruction. If our hearts are set on those things. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It it can affect our spiritual lives if it becomes a controlling force in our life. Again, it's not wrong to, you know, to work hard for what, you know, our paychecks. We're, in fact, we're called to do the very best job that we can for, for that paycheck that we get from our employer. We're called to, to work hard and, and, and be better than any employee at that place. They don't owe us anything. We work hard. That's not wrong, and we're called to do that. We're, we're called to, and, and Paul says in another place, doesn't he, that, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat. You need to, you need to do what you need to do. We all need to work hard. But Proverbs says this, don't, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Has, have the wisdom to show restraint. He says, cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. We kind of know about that, right? You kind of look at the money in the bank and then all of a sudden it's gone. Where did it go? Well, be glad that you didn't put your heart in it and on it and around it and have it in your heart because when it's gone, then what do you do? You fall apart. Whoa! Jesus talked in another parable, you know, about the rich man who... He had a really good crop, and he said, what, am, what should I do? Uh, you know, I have no place to store it all. So he says, I'll, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll store my, all my grain and goods there. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He's trusting in that, and, 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 you know, we don't know. He says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Mark says, in the Gospel of Mark, we see the, this statement, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? To gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul. You can get everything, but, but if you haven't got it in here with Jesus, forget about it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I want to read you two, <clears throat> two more uh, quotes and uh, then we're going to have communion. Let me read you this because I really like these two stories and, and we will close. For every verse in the Bible that tells us the benefits of wealth, there are ten that tell us the danger of wealth. For money, and this is by a guy named Haddon Robinson, who is who's, he's also on the radio and he's a well-known uh, uh, speaker and... Uh, works at Gordon Conwell a professor there he says for for every verse in the Bible tells us the benefits of wealth there are 10 that tell us the danger of wealth for money has a way of binding us to what is physical and temporal and blinding us to what is spiritual and eternal get that the money has a way of, 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 of atta- getting us attached to the physical things, the temporal things, and blinding us so we don't actually see the eternal things, the most important things, the spiritual things. And listen to this. He says, it's, it's a bit like the fly in the flypaper. He says, the fly lands on the flypaper and says, my flypaper. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> when the flypaper says, my fly. The fly is dead. Did you get that? Yep. The fly says, my fly paper. And the fly paper says, no, 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 my fly. He says, it's one thing to have money, another thing for money to have you. When it does, it, it will kill you. It's one thing to have money, another for money to have you. When it does, it will kill you. One more story. This gal uh, wrote... Uh, a paper, or, or, or uh, it was entitled "The Sermon on the Mount," <laughs> and uh, this is a part of that. It says several. Se- she says several years ago, construction workers were laying a foundation for a building outside the city of Pompeii, and they found the corpse of a woman who must have been fleeing from the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, but was caught in the rain of hot ashes and the woman's hands clutched jewels, which were preserved in excellent conditions. A condition. She had the jewels, but death had stolen it all. She says that's the bottom line in life. Worldly treasure is not a wise investment because you can't take it with you. That's what Paul said, right? We just read that. She said, Jim Elliott, a missionary who was martyred for his faith, understood this reality when he wrote in his journal these words, and and uh, they may be familiar to some of you. He said this, this statement. He said, A person is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read it one more time. A person is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. What's the most important thing? What do you... What, what are we going to hold on to? It's kind of like having our, our, you know, our hands, <clears throat> excuse me, open, open-fisted instead of closed-fisted around these things, you see. I remember a, a good friend of ours uh, said these words, uh, you know, that we needed to keep a light touch on the things that are earthy, a light touch on the things that are earthy. I don't know about you. <clears throat> Where you're at with, with all this stuff, and you say, Well, again, uh, that really doesn't apply to me because I don't really have a lot of money, but you'd be surprised. If you've done any traveling to been to other places and you see what people have and what they don't have, mm-hmm. we are incredibly blessed. Do those things have us, or we just have those things? And, and you know, easy come, easy go. Let's pray together, shall we?